My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hey, it's Jordan. Before we serve up this week's episode of In This Economy, I wanted to remind you, you can get these episodes two days early, every Thursday, by subscribing or following In This Economy in its own podcast feed, wherever you get podcasts. Plus, you will get some bonus episodes as we go, including one that's there already if you want to check it out that features myself and producer Steph Phillips chatting about why the heck we did this thing in the first place. For now, of course, you'll find every episode here on Saturdays. But if you want it early and you like the show, we hope you'll find us over there and give us a follow. Enjoy the show. Hey, Jordan. I'm planning a family get-together for the holidays, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around how much food, drinks, and gifts are going to cost this year. Normally, I would just foot the bill, put everything on my credit card, and worry about it later. But things are more expensive, and I don't want to go into debt just to keep up with appearances. This is a letter we got from Sal. That's not his real name, it's a pseudonym, and his letter is being read by one of our producers. My family has tried doing potlucks in the past, but I always end up making the same amount of food and buying just as much alcohol because usually someone shows up empty-handed or with a bag of chips. I'm thinking of asking my relatives to pitch money to cover the costs, but I honestly don't know how to bring it up without making people feel awkward or thinking I'm cheap. Should a host be responsible for covering everything? Am I being a Grinch if I ask everyone to chip in? Listen, I've been there. You organize a potluck, it doesn't turn out how you expected. Some guests show up with less than they promised. Some guests double up and bring the same thing. Some guests show up empty-handed. At the end of the day, though, the pressure is on the host to make sure everyone is happy and fed. That'd be a lot easier to do if you weren't staring at single digits on your bank balance and worried about rising housing costs, credit card debt, a looming recession, and everything else that's going on right now. Canadians are expected to spend 11% less this holiday season, so we are out there looking for deals and we're willing to shop around to get the most value for our money. But what does that mean for food costs or drink costs at your next family get-together or dinner party? And what if you can't afford those costs? You just can't do it. Are we ready to have some awkward conversations about friends, family, celebrations, and money? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and you're listening to In This Economy? It's a show that helps you understand the systems that create our money problems, from grocery bills to mortgage renewals and everything in between, which today includes the exorbitant cost of hosting right now. In each episode, I will talk to a person who's facing a financial challenge, just like Sal, and then to an expert who knows that area of the economy intimately and can explain the factors behind the money and offer, if not solutions, then options, pivots, and things, yes, you can do, even in this economy. 
Now, before we get into the logistics of some tricky money conversations, I want to know exactly how much prices have gone up for a holiday get-together over the past five years. If you would have held a dinner party for 10 in September of 2018, it would have cost you $400. If you held the same dinner party in 2023, September, it would cost you about $524, which is about a 31% increase. Bruce Winder is a retail analyst and the author of Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19. He is here to help us understand what's driving that 31% increase. I went through and I built a little spreadsheet and made some assumptions about hosting a dinner party for 10 people. Includes things like beef, chicken, fish, bread, rolls and buns, rice, fresh vegetables, pasta, fresh fruit, coffee and tea, ice cream and cheese. And then I went onto the StatsCan website, Statistics Canada website, and harvested the the inflation numbers per year for food purchased from stores overall, but also by category and uh, extracted the data to today's numbers. So this shows that food overall has went up about 30% in the last five years, which is quite a bit. And if you look at within that, there was a few categories that really stood out. What are those? Beef was up 35% over five years. Chicken was up 36%. Fresh vegetables up 36%. Pasta up 44%. So there's definitely some categories that have went up a little quicker than others. I know we tend to talk about inflation as, you know, this sort of holistic thing, but do we know, particularly on the grocery side or the food side, what factors are contributing to it? Yeah, it's it's a pretty complex discussion. There's a lot of factors that are playing into uh, food inflation. One of them, obviously, was the pandemic. Everything from food producers not having enough staff to excess supply of some foods, short supply of some foods. Demand was all over the place because people were staying at home and consuming differently than they were before. Obviously, they're eating out at restaurants far less. So there were significant fluctuations in supply and demand. And even just getting workers to work in food processing plants was difficult as well. Another factor was the Canadian dollar, a foreign exchange rate. So if you look back around May of 21, the dollar was about 83 cents to the US dollar. Now it's it's weakened quite a bit at 73 cents. And because we import a lot of food or import inputs into food, that costs more. Another thing that's happened and will continue to happen, unfortunately, is global warming. Global warming and unusual weather patterns has caused significant variance in crop yields. And these crop yields sometimes decrease supply and obviously forces up price if demand is constant. Hmm. So that's something that's really not going away, and that's been an issue. Another issue is the war in Ukraine, which has particularly affected grain and fertilizer pricing around the world. And finally, if you look at oil, oil was $60 a barrel back before the pandemic started. It shot up to $120 a barrel in early 2022, and now it's around 80, low 80s. So there's lots of different issues that are affecting this. You know, a lot of Canadians are talking about greedflation as another issue here. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. So I'll just ask it. You know, how do we how do we quantify that? Can we? I know 
a lot of folks uh, are probably listening to all this and, and thinking, yeah, that's great. But obviously, grocers are still making money hand over fist. So who's really at fault? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. And there's varying opinions on as to whether greedflation exists or existed with Canadian grocers. Um, some folks say it hasn't. When you look at the gross margin of the major grocers, uh, it has improved. What the grocers are saying, at least some of them, such as Loblaw, are saying it's mixed related based on increased sales of cosmetics. But, you know, the jury's really out. I, th I think until someone can take a look at the specific details of what they're buying and how they're marking it up, we really won't know because there's been some concerns from the Competition Bureau recently that the grocers were less than forthcoming with detailed information on you know, exactly what they're doing and how they're pricing groceries versus their cost base. I, I think there's also a lot of discussion that needs to happen on the supplier side. So you know, I use the metaphor that the grocers are sort of like the goaltender in hockey. But, you know, no one is really asking questions of the suppliers, the big food processors. And I would argue that they may be increasing prices more than they need to based on cost, hmm. just based on what I've heard, based on some of the earnings uh, discussions. So it's a very interesting concept. I know one thing. I know that there's such a lack of trust right now between Canadian consumers and grocers. It's at an all-time low. And one of the things the industry really needs to look at over the next few years is trying to regain some of that trust, whether it's through a code of conduct or more transparency to costing and pricing. Since we've talked about the grocers themselves, and you say they may be the ones that unfortunately get singled out in all this, I will ask you about the producers. And instead of greedflation, now we're talking about shrinkflation. Explain that to us. Yeah, shrinkflation is an interesting concept. It's when a manufacturer faces input cost increases, whether it's labor, raw materials, or other things. And instead of just increasing the price of the product, they shrink the quantity that goes in the packaging. So if I have a pack of cookies and there's 24 cookies at a certain price, well, the manufacturer will take out four cookies and sell 20 instead at the same price. So realistically, as a consumer, you're getting less for your money, which is equivalent to really paying more. So that's another tactic. And in the UK, they've actually started calling it out with signage in some grocers hmm. to uh, tell the consumer, hey, this manufacturer is participating in greedflation. It's not our fault. Exactly. That's sort of a, a bit of a blame deflection there, which I don't think works. I think uh, consumers see the grocers as, as the culprit, you know, whether they like it or not. Another thing that's been happening is, I don't know if there's an, a word for this yet, but manufacturers are also looking at different types of ingredients to try to save price as well. Huh. So swapping out maybe a lower cost ingredient in some food to try to save money. So there's all kinds of little maneuvers and techniques being used right now to try to uh, manage growing earnings if you're a manufacturer or a retailer while still trying to keep consumers coming back. That is an incredibly thorough explanation of what we're seeing at the stores right now. So thank you for that. But now I have to ask you how we can use that information practically, like how much of the price increases we're seeing depends on where you shop mm -hmm. versus what you're buying. Sure. You know, you looked at the different categories and, and what's gone up by a lot and what hasn't, but also it varies store to store. Like, how would you say that consumers should be approaching finding the best deals? There really is a difference 
depending on where you buy your product, like which grocer, and how you buy your product. So I'll give you an example. In Canada, we have our big grocers, obviously the Empires, the Metro, and the Loblaw. And they have their namesake stores, but they also have discount outlets, right? They have Freshco and No Frills and Food Basics. And if you look at the discount segment, they could be on average between 20 to 30% cheaper than the full line or full service grocers like the you know the metros because there's there's less service there they're not quite as nice you know the decor isn't as nice the fixtures aren't as nice the food may not be as as nice and they don't have extended uh, delicatessens or bakeries you know a little less on that so if you're a consumer you can save 20 to 30% roughly you know and it varies obviously by store by channeling down to the discounters. You can also, um, you know, look at other grocers like Walmart, who is basically a discount grocer in itself. And Costco, Costco has also done very well in grocery as well. So that's sort of the channel. But if you look at what you buy, you can buy frozen product. Frozen product is always cheaper than fresh product. So if you buy frozen vegetables, frozen meat, you know, People were buying frozen turkeys at Thanksgiving. You're going to save money versus fresh or pre-made or pre-cooked for you. So that's another thing you can do is, is sort of changing up what you buy. Maybe there's alternatives. You know, I mentioned how beef and chicken went up a lot. Well, maybe there's other, you know, alternatives to that for protein, right. whether it's tofu or pork or something, you know, that you can use that it's a little cheaper maybe and can help you get your protein that way. Those tips are all great for continuing to afford groceries and be able to feed yourself and, and cook on a day-to-day -day basis. The reason we're approaching this episode is because this is the time of year when we have family and friends for dinner parties and people are expected to host. And uh, as you've kind of just described, that can be a lot more expensive uh, than it used to be. What do you think we'll start to see in terms of like traditional gatherings um, this year where, you know, look, somebody might not feel great having their entire family over and then announcing, you know, oh, I've swapped out the turkey for tofu. Um, <laughs> deal with it, you guys. You know, <laughs> what kinds of shopping trends might we expect to see in terms of those big fancy or maybe even not so fancy holiday dinner parties? Well, I think one thing that could start to happen is you may see. Uh, some of these gatherings turn into a bit of a potluck instead of one family flipping the bill for the entire meal because people realize times are really tough, right? And, you know, it, it's not really fair to ask one family to pay, you know, over $500 one month to host this meal. So I think potluck, you know, sharing of meals, people bring different dishes themselves may be popular. And, you know, this may sound odd, but you might see a little less of these dinner parties too, a little less of these mm -hmm. gatherings. So don't get me wrong, you're still going to celebrate the way you celebrate. But, you know, you might you might sort of look at your guest list a little sharper and say, you know, do we really need to invite Uncle Fred this year? You know, or can, can Uncle Fred sit this one out? Poor Fred. You know, the other thing is obviously the mix of product. Like we've talked about, can you buy more frozen? Do you have to have the portions as big as they are? Sometimes, you know, people, we get in the habit of having these massive portions and there's always so much left over. What if we buy a little less on the portion side? And of course, like I said, shopping at some of the discount grocers instead of the full service grocers will save you some money as well.
Now that we've got a better understanding of how we got here, I want to get to the second half of Sal's question. Is it a good idea to ask family and friends to chip in for the big meal? And if it is, how do you do it without hurt feelings? To help us with that, I called a best-selling personal finance author and the founder of Money Wise Workplaces, Kelly Keene. I've been, you know, a financial something, either in the industry or out of the industry for over 25 years, and I've never heard people talk about finances like they are today. I mean, middle class, high income, everyone is feeling the pinch, everyone is feeling scared and worried about the holidays. So I think that it's more than acceptable to have the conversation about affordability come holidays and how that's going to work and who's paying for what. Definitely, uh, I, I don't think anyone would be surprised by that conversation today. It's one thing to say it's a good conversation to have and nobody should be surprised by it. It's a whole other thing to actually have that conversation, uh, especially if you're talking to family members or friends or loved ones about it that you haven't talked about finances with before. So uh, do you have any strategies? Like, what's the best way to go about bringing this up? Can you break it down? Yeah, that's really fair. It is a really hard conversation to have, especially with family. We're we're much more inclined to talk about what's happening with our, our friends and family, you know, with their sex life than with their finances. That always comes up a lot easier. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it takes some vulnerability. It takes a lot of courage. And you are probably having, starting the conversation that everyone in your family and peer group wants to have. So knowing that it's not like everyone's doing great and you're the only one that isn't, that's the first and most important thing to remember. You know, it's kind of like when I speak for large audiences, it's that one brave hand that asks, you know, they'll say, oh, this is a silly or a stupid question. And everyone in the audience has the same question. So, you know, it can just be something as simple as, look, you know, you don't even have to admit that times are hard. You don't have to admit that you're sticking to a budget. Mm -hmm. You can just say, look, you know, you're trying to save a little extra money. Maybe you're trying to teach your kids some creativity and how to really navigate these challenging financial situations moving forward and and make it fun and just be like, look, we're looking for some creative ways to save some money this season. And this is a couple of things that our family was thinking about. What do you think? What what are you guys talking about? You don't even have to make it declarative. You could say that you were listening to this interview and they were talking about some fun ideas to save some money and still have a great time. And that it's mm. about getting together. It's not about how much money is being spent and, and who's spending the money. And oftentimes that can just open up the floodgates and see. And if you get kind of the iron curtain conversation or dead silence, okay, maybe then you you scale back and just that's not the person that's going to be receptive. And that's okay. Not everyone is. So realizing that it's kind of like dating or a job interview or anything else, you're not really quite sure what the reception is going to be on the other side. So as long as you'll feel comfortable, right. you've practiced it out, I, I think it's a great start. Let's talk about actually asking people for money. If you're having these family members over, how do you how do you pull it out and be like, listen, this is costing me 500 bucks. I need I need 30 bucks from everybody to make this work. Well, okay, this gets really... Or should you just not do that? <laughs> it gets weird. I'm going to be honest. There's a ton of research 
that, you know, this, this might sound out of left field, but it will give you a little insight. For example, where they put these refrigerators in dorm rooms and, you know, college kids are always starving and they put Cokes in a bunch of refrigerators and they put dollar bills in other refrigerators. Of course, at the end of a couple of days, all the cans of Coke were gone and all of the dollar bills were still there. Huh. It just shows you that there is this taboo when it comes to cash and money and asking for it as opposed to things. So I am not going to say there's some easy way to ask for cash. That is tough. Okay. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, hey, look, you know, I've covered the family and I know in my own family, I've done dinners for 20 years. I've covered the family for 20 years. This is a tough year and I'm asking everyone to chip in. It's going to cost me this much money. I'm asking everyone to, you know, bring some cash or email me or what have you. That, that is a tough conversation. So if that's just too tough, maybe you have to make some alternatives. Maybe you don't do dinner this year. Maybe you do ask people for potluck and say, look, I'm really counting on you to bring what you said you were going to bring because this is the only way I can make this happen. But I'll be honest, it's not easy to ask for cash from family and friends. If you do manage to have that conversation, how do you do it while being sensitive that the person you're asking might be in a similar situation to you? How much is too much to ask for? You know, uh, I said this, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I kind of was telling them about this episode and it's like how to ask for 50 bucks from your family. And they're like, you can't ask for $50. That's crazy. <laughs> but is $20 better? Like, I guess I'm trying to find the navigable norms, I guess, around doing this kind of stuff. Well, here's the tough thing. It's, it's, we always want to look for these heuristics, these shortcuts, these rules of thumb when it comes to money. And I would ask the same thing. Like, I'm not going to ask my neighbor what prescriptions they take. That's not germane to anything to do with my situation. I mean, mm -hmm. your family may have a lavish, you know, you provide all of the alcohol, all of the everything, or maybe you've always kind of struggled and it's always been a thin get together. So you know, what might be astronomical, $50 might be way too much for some family that that might not be enough for another family. Then do you ask that the question is, do you ask everybody evenly? Mm -hmm. You know, there's probably some people that are doing all right in your family, and some who are really struggling. So do you just ask everyone evenly for the same amount of money? I mean, only you can take that temperature check of look, if there's maybe, you know, I kind of remember like an old friends episode, right? I remember they were all having to go out for dinner and half of the friends were on the show were broke and they were just ordering wine and, and, and some free bread. And the other friends were ordering these lavish meals. And then at the end of the episode, and everyone owes 28 bucks. It's like, okay, let's all split the check. And yeah. half of the friends were like, we just had water and bread. What do you mean split the check? Like, yeah. you know, so maybe if you are the one that's hosting and you're doing all right, or, but you need a little bit of help, maybe first you reach out to the other people in your family and friends that you know are probably doing okay and say, hey, maybe can we as two or three or four of us split for everyone else? I'm happy to host at my house. I'm happy to provide the the basics and you can come in for maybe a hundred or 200 bucks or let's go grocery shopping together and split the grocery bill. What works best for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think too, actually, you know, having a little bit more, like seeing more like when you're riding with Uber that you like split the bill together. I think people have been discussing this a little bit more than they have in the past. So 
I think it depends on age. I think it depends on your family traditions. If you've ever brought this up, how easy or difficult that conversation is. You mentioned at the beginning, instead of asking for money directly, which I agree is not the easiest thing to do, there might be ways to make it a little more fun or different. Uh, potlucks, Sal mentioned them. How can we make those more efficient? And also, if not potlucks, like then what? What are some of those other fun ideas that can help us avoid shelling out 500 bucks? Maybe, you know, almost like a baby shower or a engagement where it's like, this person gets the crib and this person buys the blanket. This mm. You could do like a fun little thing of who's buying what. Okay, this person, you know, these two people are going to take care of all of the alcohol. It's all the orders already put in. These people are going to the, pick up the turkey or the what have you. That order's already put in. And you can just kind of ask people like, hey, what works best for you? What would you like to sponsor for the celebration? Which one would you like to cover? And then give them directions of where to get it, what it is that you would like and kind of make it fun and cheeky and light. I, I think that could be an interesting experiment. It's not a perfect science, and you have no idea if that person's going to show up or if you can depend on them. I think the only thing you can do is say, look, this is what I want. This is where it is. You can go and pick it up there or bring something equivalent. But yeah, it's pretty tough to demand a potluck. And right. that's kind of the fun of a potluck. Mm -hmm. You just don't know what you're going to get. So I think if you also let everyone know, hey, this is truly a potluck. I am asking everyone to bring this. If you don't, that's going to reflect the quality and enjoyment of our of our meal and our experience. So trusting all of you to come to the table to make this a great celebration that we all pitched in on or something like that. You know, just make it as cheeky as you can without being bossy. Use some corporate language. Like, we'll circle back on that. Oh, Maybe yeah. you should connect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Let's talk about what happens when those conversations uh, don't work. Let's say you have had conversations with some folks about it and, you know, everybody's kind of like, oh, yeah, for sure. I'll happily throw in like 25 bucks, right? It's going to be a great night. And then the night shows up and you've got a few people who just didn't bring money. And so we'll, we'll cash transfer you later. Don't worry about it. And then the cash transfer kind of doesn't come. And obviously, you don't want to let money ruin a friendship. Also, in this scenario, you're somebody who's actively struggling to make ends meet. Um, how do you navigate that? Yeah, and this can cut really deep. Like the rule of reciprocity is so deeply ingrained in our DNA, you know, comes from our tribal times when we needed the tribe to support us. So when you actually are vulnerable and brave and ask for money, somebody agrees to it and then they don't do it or you have to chase them, there is a, a real possibility that that can create some deep resentment. So know that going in, it's kind of like, you know, the old adage is if you're going to lend money to a friend or a family member, just consider that gone, consider right. it a gift. <laughs> and if they do provide it, then you'll be pleasantly surprised. I think if you are, you know, it's that difficult for you to put on a family event and you are in dire need of people actually bringing that money and sending it to you, and that potentially could ruin your friendship and ruin your relationship with them, honestly, I would consider just not having it because it is that deeply rooted of a resentment, you know, and then to be chasing someone for that $25 or ruining your friendship or your relationship over it, maybe it's just not your year to host, yep. right? Or maybe it's like, let's all go to a restaurant everyone's going to get their own check because it's just a tight year. 
And I just, you know, I think that that's the best situation for everyone, because if you know your family, you know your friends, that's just, just going to create a lot of hurt. Why even bother? That is great advice. The last thing I want to ask you is hopefully going to end this on a more positive note. There are undoubtedly some people who are doing okay listening to this and have been invited to holiday parties or family get-togethers or what have you by somebody who they they might know that they've lost their job. They might know that their mortgage went up. Like they kind of have a, let's say you have a hint uh, and you're worried that they're struggling and they're hosting this big thing. I know the typical response is like, whoa, well, what can I bring? What else can you do without wanting to like call them out and be like, hey, you know, I know you lost your job and et cetera, et cetera. But make it clear that like, I- I'm here to help. I'll pay for some. Mm-hmm. And And I think... Yeah, that can be really uncomfortable too. But what you can do is reframe it in a way and just be like, hey, you know what? I know how expensive these dinners are. Please let me go and get whatever. Is it the roast beef? Is it the turkey? Is it the most expensive thing? If you know that your family drinks a lot of alcohol, hey, I've got a case of wine with my name on it. Just tell me if it's white or red or both. Like which one? I'm bringing it. So you can count on that. Or you can just send them an e-transfer and not even mention it. And then in the subject field, just be like, Hey, just a little contribution to our holiday dinner. Now, they still have to accept it unless they have auto deposit. Or, you know, you could just bring a card with some cash in it, although that's not going to to help them pay for it in advance. But who wouldn't love to see that and just quietly give them a card and let them open it after you've left. So there's a lot of ways that you can help out. And I think, you know, if you're just kind of adamant that you're buying this and you're helping out and make it a, a really fun and light way, that that's just a way you want to contribute. I think people are pretty good to accept that. But yeah, if you're just kind of like, hey, I'd really like to help out. What can I do? Most of the time, the reply is going to be, oh, nothing. I've got it handled. So come in with something specific that you know is the highest ticket item. uh, If, of course, you can afford it and offer to buy something very specific or a specific number of items. You know, I'll do the Instacart and send you over the Costco groceries, send me the list. It'll be there by tomorrow morning. Like whatever, be specific as opposed to, hey, how can I help? That's akin to saying, how are you? (laughs) And the polite response is fine. Some of this might sound obvious to you depending on how you were raised and how you talk about money in your family. But regardless, what it really comes down to is we're all feeling a pinch in our wallets. You wouldn't be listening to this show if you weren't. And with that comes a lot of anxiety and a little fear and maybe some guilt. At the end of it all, what I hope you take away from this episode is that you are not alone, even if it might seem that way when you're scrolling online, looking at perfectly Instagrammed holiday meals. The people in your circle are likely in the same boat as you. And knowing that should give you some comfort and some confidence when you're approaching how you want to celebrate this year, who you want to do it with, and how you want to pay for it. One thing that I found interesting while researching this episode is that there's some tech that can help make the planning and the money conversations a little more seamless. The obvious one, of course, is cash transfer apps, which you've all heard about and likely seen, but Venmo and Cash App are not available in Canada. Still, most, if not all banks, offer Interact e-transfers online and on their mobile apps. We've been able to send and receive money that way in this country for a while now. Recently, however, many 
of these banks and apps offered the ability to request money. And like Kelly said, we're getting more and more used to splitting the bill with the proliferation of ride-sharing apps, food delivery apps, all of that stuff. And the more we use things, the more comfortable we get with them, and the easier it should be to say, hey, don't worry, I'll just request it online later. If you want to just plan in advance and also not ask for money directly, there are a few apps out there that can help organize who is bringing what to the party. A few that we found are Bring It with Lomi, that's L-O-M-E, and Punchbowl. Now, these are apps that help you send invitations and assign dishes for a potluck. Guests can see what they're expected to bring. They can see what everyone else is bringing, and that way you won't end up with four artichoke dips on the table. Now, I haven't tried these apps, and I will say to you, you should try them and let us know what you think. There is also, however, if you're an old fart, the shared Excel document or Google spreadsheets in which you can just write down some names, write down some dishes, and send out a link. Sometimes you don't need an app. We got to thank Bruce Winder and Kelly Keene for sharing their expert knowledge with us and with you. You can buy Bruce's book, Retail Before, During, and After COVID, wherever books are sold. And if you want to learn more about Kelly's services, you can visit her website, kellykeen.com. And again, thank you to Sal for writing into this show with your money problem, sharing it with us, and letting us have this conversation. If you want to give us a reason to have a conversation about your money problem, then we want to hear from you. You can email us anytime. It's hello at itepod.ca. If you don't feel like email, you can call and tell us a story in a voicemail. The number is 416-935-5935. We don't need your real name, as you know. We do need your real numbers. And also, don't forget to actually leave a way for us to get in touch with you when you call or else... You'll wonder why we ghosted you, but we didn't. You ghosted us. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and TikTok at In This Economy Pod. If you liked this show and you want more of this show, please help us share it. Help us get the word out. Tell your friends. Subscribe in a podcast app. Share it on social media. Rate and review and all those good things the people who love podcasts love to do for their favorites. I am your host and your executive producer, Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This episode was written and produced by Stephanie Phillips. The sound design was done by Robin Edgar. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our manager of business development. And together, we're the Frequency Podcast Network. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada, within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency.